0: Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Friday! This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk ninety six point five KPEL two three two fifteen forty two. If you want to be part of the conversation, and plenty of them to have today, but let's start with uh, the historical part. You you heard uh, Dan Bongino go into it at the uh, toward the end of his show, you know, and and we've we talked about it a bit on KPEL throughout the day today, but. Today is the 2 year anniversary of the day that Rush Limbaugh passed away. And this actually ties into one of the stories of the day. Um and I want to get to that shortly, but you know I had a caller uh earlier this week who called in um and 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 said, you know, and, and said, you know, I That they know that I'm going to... I'm not lying to y'all. I'm giving y'all honestly who I am. And that is partially because I watched Rush Limbaugh be so good at doing that. Rush Limbaugh was not a character. He was uniquely himself on the air. And he built that relationship with his audience that way. There are a lot of people on radio, a lot of people in the media, who have built... A, uh, they have built this persona, their, their media profile, you know, who everybody who they see uh, in front of a camera, they hear over the microphone, over the radio. There are a lot of people in media who have a persona, and that persona will tell you one thing, but the, the person behind that persona may not be the person you see or hear every day. And there are plenty of people in the industry who are chasing their audiences mentioned this the other day that, that caller who called in had said notice that some radio hosts were uh, some folks in the media were more comfortable criticizing Trump and a lot of that is due to the fact that they're watching the poll numbers. They're watching their audience. They're listening to their audience. They're reacting. They're, they're following where they think their audience is going. And they are fine-tuning what they say to slowly drift that way without making an abrupt change. They're chasing their audience. Now, it would be bad for business if I were to say, I don't care what y'all think. and That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is... I don't think chasing an audience, carrying water for candidates, trying to tell you guys what you want to hear, I don't think that's good business. I think that undermines my credibility on the air. And again, I learned that listening for years to Rush Limbaugh. I was never somebody who was actually like super into radio, especially talk radio, when I was growing up, that's just not, we were very musically oriented. We, we like to listen to a lot of music. There's, there's so, I have a diverse range of musical tastes because my parents had a range of musical tastes, not because they were musicians or anything like that. They just listened to a lot. And so I, I, I did too. When I was toward the end of my college career, I got a job at KNOC in Natchitoches and my family had had partial ownership. They, they were owners. Um, of KNOC for years now that that partnership had broken up long before I started working for KNOC. And so I wasn't working for my family at the time. But it was a conservative news talk station and Rush was on it. And I was working through uh, through those those midday hours. So I would be listening to Rush all the time. And at the time, I was still far more moderate than I am now. I'm, And in some ways, I am uh, a squish on some of those issues that more hardline conservatives uh are not, but I am much more conservative than I am now. But I didn't listen to Rush and get converted to being a conservative. I came upon that naturally. But I learned how to be better on the radio by listening to Rush. And I've made some friends in the radio business along the way. And I've listened to them, and the people who listened to Rush, who are successful in the radio business, understood that they could never be Rush. You heard Bongino say that a few minutes ago on his show. Uh, you know, somebody who would email, you heard Dan, somebody who emails me and says, You're not Rush Limbaugh, it's a pointless statement to make. Dan, like the folks who are good at their job, they know that. And Dan and some of these others that he name-dropped, Dana Lash, Eric Erickson, some of these others, they know good and damn well they're not Rush, and they're not going to try to be Rush. They are distinctly their own people. And that's why they can be name-dropped like that. All these people competing during the midday hours, they know they're not going to be the next Rush Limbaugh in terms of audience size and station size, nor in terms of personality. But... Everybody in this business who has longevity in this business, the names that are still talked about a lot, the names that get a lot of media coverage because of the stuff they say on the radio. The ones that the left actually they listen to and they, they try to they try to uh, get them canceled, complain about them. They're the ones who are honest about who they are. And they are honest about who they are, because they want that relationship with their audience, that same relationship that Rush had. I've mentioned this before. Rush very rarely had a guest on his show. Rush's philosophy, and I know that because, I know this because I've, I've listened to people who have had a personal relationship with Rush before, and he's explained it to them. Rush believed that inviting a guest onto the show was rude. It was like inviting somebody else into a one-on-one conversation. If you go back and you remember how Rush talked on his show, it always felt like a one-on-one conversation. Even though he'd say, mm, ladies and gentlemen, and, and, and talk in, about these stories, he was talking to you directly. It felt like a one-on-one conversation between him, the radio host, and you, the listener. And to bring in a guest was, he felt very rude. Now, sometimes there's just news stories and you have to have a guest on. For Rush, it was people wanted to be on Rush's show, not Rush wanting these people on his show. Rush didn't need guests. But that's the type of... That's the type of radio personality that I want to. I'm not, again, not trying to be Rush. Rush and I have distinctly different styles. But at the end of the day, I want that same thing. I want that relationship with y'all. That's why I say, even though there's some days where y'all don't call in, it's only an hour, you just want to listen to the information, move on to offsides, and you call in and mess with Shannon there. But I like for y'all to call in. I like for y'all to send messages uh, through the KPL app because I like to have those conversations with you. And it's the people who can be honestly themselves in front of a camera, behind a microphone. It's those people who are successful, and it's those people who don't get compromised. Whenever something comes out, whenever there's some story that comes out, and it's about right-leaning media or left-leaning, or or any any sort of media outlet, media personality whenever stuff from behind the scenes comes out, it's never going to be one of those guys who are uniquely themselves on the air that get in trouble for it. It's always going to be the people who are two different people on air and off air. And that leads me to the story that I want to talk about next. Yesterday, the Dominion voting machine defamation case against Fox News. The final arguments are being made and released publicly from those transcripts were a ton of text messages and emails and testimony from folks at Fox who said the stuff they said on the air about the stolen election and how that did not line up with what they were saying privately. Sean Hannity felt that the election wasn't stolen and that Trump should have stopped talking about that. That Trump needed to accept it and move on and he needed to do it very quickly. But on the air, wa- um, Sean Hannity was questioning the election results and he was giving credence to Trump and his arguments and Trump's team. Tucker Carlson, kind of the same way, Tucker Carlson asked all these questions, but he believed behind the scenes that, yeah, the election wasn't stolen. And there was a lot of fear behind the scenes at Fox News after the Arizona call. Remember, they called Arizona very early the night of the 2020 election. And and I know a lot of y'all were angry about it. A lot of folks out there were angry about it. A lot of Trump supporters were very angry that... They called Arizona so early, their call ended up being pretty much right. But they were so angry at that, and and, they f- and, and that was when a lot of folks turned off Fox, and they went to Newsmax, went to One America News, um, OAN. They started leaving Fox. Now, Fox's ratings are still great. There wasn't a huge audience shift, but it made those other networks, OAN, Newsmax, uh, more viable as networks. Well, here's the problem now. This defamation case, you can, you can kind of see where it can wipe out OAN. It can wipe out Newsmax. Those two networks are already struggling. They, were, they never were destined to get super big. They were niche uh, networks. They tried to recreate what Fox News was doing, but they couldn't do so because they didn't have the corporate power behind them that Fox News had. Fox News can withstand this defamation trial if they lose. But what's coming out is that the same people who were saying the 2020 election was stolen on the air at Fox News behind the scenes, they didn't really believe that. And when you read some of the stuff that's in these transcripts, what you read is a bunch of corporate folks, corporate minded folks who were terrified of losing their audience if they admitted that on the air. And so they were chasing their audience. They weren't being honest with you. If you watch Fox News and you watch because you wanted to hear them talk about the election and all and the theories behind it being stolen and the evidence they had and all the questions they were asking, a lot of those folks were lying to you. And that's nothing against Fox News as a network, nothing against Hannity or Tucker in in. Uh, You know, specifically, nothing personal against them. But when you are somebody who is chasing your audience, you are doing a disservice disservice to your audience. You're not being fair to them. Your audience tunes in to you to hear what you think, to see the... To see the news of the day through the perspective that you're going to tell. They want that perspective from you. And if you're not giving them that honest perspective, what are you even doing? And to me, that is an ethical issue. Which is why I, can't, I cannot bring myself to do that. But now Fox News is in this situation where all this stuff is coming out. And their credibility is on the line here. Now, again, this isn't going to destroy Fox News. The very fact of the matter is when defamation suits come up against media outlets, it never looks pretty. It doesn't. All the the behind-the-scenes stuff, it never looks pretty. But it still does raise a credibility issue with Fox. All right, I've run long here. I'm going to take this break a couple minutes when we come back and then we'll get to our bottom of the hour news. If you want to call in 232-1542 is the number or send a message through the KPL app chat. I'll be right back here in just a moment with the Joe Cunningham show news talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. You can also send a comment through the KPL app chat. If you've got the KPL app Uh, there's a little chat button up in the top, I think, right corner. And you tap that, you sign in, send. you want to send a message, just send it through general message. I'll see it and I'll respond to that either on or off the air. Uh, If you don't have the KPL app, I'm not entirely sure what you're doing. You need to go ahead and do that today. Uh, Very important for you to do so. Anyway, like I said, send a message to the app chat, call in Uh, 232-1542. This whole Fox News Dominion voting thing. Um, I don't, I'm, I don't want to go back and, and start the arguments rehashing uh, 2020 or anything like that, but I, I do want to say this. We have been relitigating this a whole lot. And going back to Tuesday when Nikki Haley you know dropped her video and then Wednesday when she had her speech declaring her candidacy, one of the things that she keeps harping on, is a new generation of politician. And she keeps talking about the need for change and, and all of this. What she's getting at is what a lot of Republicans are starting to feel behind the scenes. And they and they're basing this on how the 2022 midterms turned out. That the Republican Party is really very much in need of somebody who is willing to move forward. There were mistakes in the past. There were things that could have been done in the past. There were things that are questionable from the past. But we need to move forward. If that means fighting within the system to work to change it, so be it in terms of the election systems and all that. Uh, But what the Republican Party needs, according to Nikki Haley and these others that are wanting to jump in, is something new and different. Not a Mitt Romney 2.0, not a Liz Cheney, we got to attack Trump. Nothing soft, nothing that's meant to appease the left and the media because you're never going to do that. But a chance to refocus the GOP on issues in important ways. And that is what a lot of the Republican Party is kind of moving toward right now. Are they going to be able to pull it off? I have no idea. Okay, when we come back though, when we come back, John Bill Edwards is now releasing his proposed budget. And there is, as expected, a big raise for teachers. I want to talk about that when we come back. That and more here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or, like I said in the last segment... Download and use the app chat. I love talking with y'all on there, getting y'all's feedback, as well as sending messages back uh, and keeping those conversations going. So please, please do. Uh, so here is, I think, one of the stories that we probably need to get into a little bit more. Uh, on Friday, today, John Bell Edwards has proposed his budget for the next fiscal year. And it includes a $2,000 pay raise for K-12 teachers that could climb to $3,000 if more money becomes available. So, um, Edwards wants, I mean, he's been talking for a very long time about bringing the, the teacher average pay in the state uh, to the southern average, John Bell Edwards is a lame duck. He can call for this now. You'll note that prior to his reelection, he pushed for uh, he pushed for a thousand dollar pay raise. And when other groups called for more, he and the teachers units were like, no, 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 this this will be nice. And then as soon as it passed, they all said, this is a great start. If Moon were in here right now and he heard me say it's a great start, he'd probably wince because he knows exactly what I know on that. It's a good start means we're going to keep doing it. But he waited. He got reelected. He had strong union support because when teacher pay goes up, union dues go up. And the unions like that money and they like to spend that money. To get Democrats elected so that the unions can get more money and that schools will be strengthened or rather the school systems will be strengthened. I'm going to tell you something you've probably heard me say before, and some of you may very well disagree. Our teachers aren't paid enough. They are not paid what they're worth. They are not paid for the jobs that they do. And it's not just the teaching the kids every day. And I don't want to hear the, well, they're off for three months. They're not really off for three months. The planning for the school year happens well before the school year starts. There are trainings that you need to attend if you're teaching a new class, if you're being shuffled around. There is work you have to do throughout the summer, adjusting what you taught based on the school scores that come in. And there is constant, constant work. So that three months off doesn't really become a three months off. What's more, those hours that teachers are in school, they get a little bit of a lunch break, not much of one, and they get an hour of, quote, planning, but there's you don't have enough time in that planning period to actually plan for the classes. A lot of your work planning for your classes ends up being done at home. The grading can't be done during the planning period. If you've got multiple classes a day you're teaching, especially in middle school and high school, you have... To take some of that work home to grades, you've got to grade in those so-called off hours. If you're having discipline problems, if you've got kids that are close to failing or are failing, you've got to make parent contact. You can't do all that within school hours because your planning period is already filled with the other stuff you have to do. And then there's the, non-econom- the, the non-educational stuff. There's the bureaucratic stuff, the paperwork. That you have to fill out on a near constant basis. Is there a kid who's on an education plan and you have to track their behavior to make sure that the interventions are working? Well, you've got to take time out of your day to make sure you do that. And if you don't, then the district can come back and say, well, you didn't keep track of his behavior and see if the interventions are working. So we can't kick this kid out, even though he's got a billion and a half write ups. So you've got that little bureaucratic stuff to do. You've got paperwork you have to fill out. If you've got kids who need those interventions in the classroom, you've got to go through levels of bureaucracy there. You've got to be super organized and tracking all that because somebody is waiting in the wings to sue you as a teacher and your school because you didn't give their child every intervention they need, which is the parent's right. But there's all this stuff that adds up on teachers. What they get paid is simply not enough. But, but, the system we have is not working. Now, here in Lafayette Parish, the system's working pretty well. We're still seeing growth, and I think the district is doing some of the right things. Statewide, I think in Louisiana, we're starting to make some of the right calls. Under John White, we started making some of the right pushes. Under Dr. Cade Brumley, we're continuing those pushes and, in fact, implementing new things to try to help strengthen our kids' When they're younger, so that they are stronger when they get older, and we are pushing more college and uh, we're pushing more college credits in high school and more career training in high school. But that is a lot more training. That's a lot more uh, paperwork. That's all this other stuff that gets piled on teachers day in and day out. So I go back to the teachers are not paid enough. They simply aren't. Oh, and I forgot, most teachers are expected to be sponsors or uh, or faculty advisors to some organization or club or something else. There are teachers who are PE coaches or and some who are PE coaches who also have to coach sports on their campus. And so they've got to spend several extra hours a day doing all that for a stipend. That is, quite frankly, a joke. For the amount of time you put in, you're getting essentially a quarter an hour that is 25 cents an hour, for the work you're putting in, sometimes less. And I'm telling you this as somebody who's, who spent close to 10 years in the classroom, who, uh, who was a part of that system, who understands the problems within that system and the fact that teachers are overburdened and overstressed. And you may say this, that, and the other about critical race theory and you can say all this about the wokes and all of this stuff. but The fact of the matter is your average teacher is not taking part in that foolishness. Your average teacher is trying to keep their head above water. Do I want teachers to have a two to $3,000 pay raise? Oh, hell yes, I do. And it's not just because my wife is still a teacher and I want that extra 3000 a year. But keep this in mind. Inflation is up really high right now, even before inflation was super high. A family of four go to Walmart, buy supplies for the week, could go anywhere from 150 to $200 depending on what they need. So if you're doing 150 to $200 two to four times a month, Let's keep let's keep it on the low end. Let's say uh, one hundred fifty dollars twice a month. So that's three hundred dollars, three hundred times twelve months in a year. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. three thousand six hundred dollars a year. The pay raise doesn't even really get all that doesn't even get felt that much. I mean, and, and you know that two thousand dollars, that three thousand dollars a month, um, uh, with inflation right now, I mean you're you're just sinking still. And then you've got to think about all the deductions from pay, insurance, union dues, things like that, those all take away from us. So that two to three thousand dollars all of a sudden doesn't equal very much. So let's say a teacher who's been in the system is making close to fifty right now. They get 53 in a year. Inflation is up super high, so they're not really going to feel that. But you know what else is going to happen? These, these surpluses that are in state government, this money that's there is not always going to be there. What if there's a bad economic year and tax revenue goes down? You know what happens then? The school districts that now have to abide by these pay raises because it's illegal in the state of Louisiana is against the law to reduce a teacher's pay. The state doesn't have as much money to send the school districts, so that extra $74 million annually that these pay raises could cost from the state, what if the money dries up? It's now on the districts, and the districts have to spend a ton of money to keep these salaries afloat. And what if the districts are having financial problems? You know what happens? New taxes. You have to raise the money in order to be able to spend the money on these salaries. Because what everybody seems to get is that federal federal money that comes to the state and local government isn't endless. It runs out. And state money that goes to the local governments, it runs out. It's not always permanent. But it is, if you recall this fantastic phrase, an unfunded mandate that's now being put on school districts. And we're going to say in a year that we have a surplus, let's go ahead and increase teacher pay. Because the money's there now. It's a very short-sighted plan for a good cause, but doesn't actually take the real issues at heart into account. We have a bloated budget. We have had decades of bloated budgets where we spend and spend and spend and make virtually no cuts and we keep getting federal government money for infrastructure because of hurricanes and all these natural disasters, well, at some point, the money is going to run out. At some point, this recession is going to hit. What happens then? What happens if we're looking at a two- to three-year recession? And people stop spending money and the revenue goes down. What happens then to those teacher salaries? They can't go down. Now you have school districts that are going broke. Now you have a state that's going broke. Where does that money come from? They're going to have to put more tax initiatives on the ballot. At a time when you're not spending money because there's no money to be spent, they're going to ask you to give them more. I am all for teachers getting a pay raise. They deserve a pay raise. They desperately, desperately need a pay raise. But under the current system we have, it is not sustainable to keep raising and raising and raising. because Oh, hey, we have a surplus. That is bad fiscal policy. Show me meaningful budget cuts Show me getting rid of $74 million of waste annually, and I will say, absolutely, let's go to the full $3,000. Let's look at four dollars or $5,000. If you can cut $74 million from the budget, let's see if we can bump that up to $100 or $125 million of waste that we can cut so we can give our teachers even more, because by God, they deserve it. But don't sit here and tell me that because we have hundreds of millions of dollars in surplus, that we're always going to have that money and that we need to keep bloating our budget, inflating our budget in order to say, hey, we're paying our teachers a southern regional average. Show me where the money fits into the budget puzzle so that we don't have to worry that in a bad economic year, we're going to have to start raising taxes to keep this going. Yes, our teachers need to be paid more. I've experienced it. I've been overwhelmed. I've been drowning just like the rest of them. I still have teacher friends that text me and say they are lost. They are confused. They are disenchanted with a profession they were passionate about. Because they are overworked and underpaid and underappreciated. And sure the extra two to three thousand dollars a year would feel great. But what happens then when they have to turn around and pay higher property taxes and other tax initiatives in order to be able to fund that new salary that they're getting? Because the state still can't manage its money. That's the problem. That's the system we need to fix, and we need to do so pronto. All right, 232-1542, we're going to take this last break. Come back, of course, if you want to call in or text in through the app chat, would love to hear from you. This is Joe Cunningham on The Joe Cunningham Show. Be back in a moment right here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL, 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. Got about two and a half minutes left, and we've got a caller on the line. Hi, welcome to The Joe Cunningham Show. Who's calling? <laughs> Yes. Uh, am I on? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I had a question, Joe, regarding yeah. this teacher pay raises. Uh-huh. What What is our national ranking as far as education? Oh, it's not very high at all. We're we're toward the bottom. Yeah. Do you think a raise would improve uh, our rating? I I do actually think it would have kind of a roundabout effect on that rating, and here's why. There are a lot of people who are leaving the profession, a lot of good teachers who are leaving the profession because they are underpaid and overworked. You also have a lot of people who would be interested in teaching, but it simply does not pay as much as working in the private sector does. So you're missing out on a lot of good teachers. You have as a result are, frankly, some kind of -of middle-of-the-road people, some people basically standing in, filling in, who don't have all of the qualifications but the 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 employee pool is not very very deep right now and so school districts are having to take what what they can and you have a lot of folks who are new and inexperienced and don't really have the training and it is causing an employment crisis an an employee crisis in our school district so yes i do believe that a pay raise actually does help but at the same time i understand completely where you're coming from because we've had pay raises And we've had very little change. That's where the State Department of Education comes in. And they are working on plans right now. And we're have, we starting to see the effect of some of those plans come together. But these are things that take multiple years to go through. Under John White, now under Dr. Cade Brumley, a lot of these plans that we're starting, we're not going to see the fruits of a lot of those plans still for another few years. So while our education rating may not change while we're getting these raises, what we're doing is we're bringing in better people to help implement those plans at the school level. So at this point, uh, before any raises are enacted, we we're essentially left with teachers that are merely acting as babysitters. Maybe yes, that that is unfortunately that is the situation, especially in a lot of districts that are uh, not as well off financially. And so we we are having a lot of essential babysitting duties in the classroom, and it's very unfortunate because a lot of those teachers and students deserve better. Yeah. So therefore, they feel like babysitters, so they don't feel like teachers. That's right. That's and and that's part of the problem. And I've I've got to let you go on that one because we're right up against the break here. Thank you very much for calling. And I understand what you're saying, and I've I've heard it all before, but something's got to be done. And the teachers who are there doing their job, they are undervalued and it's a shame. All right, that's it for me. I'm going to be back on Monday. You guys have a great weekend. Talk to you as soon as I can. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham show or email Joe at redstate.com. Shannon is off sides next here on news talk. 96.5 KPL.